That's loud, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, would you please take your copy of the Word of God? I hope you brought your Bible with you and turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And we will be in verses uh, 26 to 31 in just a couple of minutes. All right, uh, normally when I show you an opening video for the message, it's uh, done by Christian people, and it has more of a Christian message. This one didn't have anything Christian about it, although Eugene might have been a Christian. I don't know if he was or not. But it was what he did that I wanted to focus in on. I want you to notice that somebody had to step forward and save the neighborhood kids from an alligator that was loose. And somebody uh, could have used some help, I think, at times. Nobody helped him. He was all by himself. And he, uh, he caught that alligator and he released it safely. So the kids were safe. Here's how it all went down. And there's over 6 million people that have viewed that. And 6 million and now plus however many we have here. If anyone in Hollywood, they say, was looking to reboot uh, the Crocodile Dundee person with a person of color in the lead role, then at this time, 26-year-old Eugene Bodzi uh, would have to... Uh, wouldn't even have to send in an audition tape because he already has one. He already shows what it's like to be an alligator hunter. When he was notified by his children that the alligator had wandered onto their suburban property, he went outside to investigate. He later told USA Today that he assumed it was just a baby alligator and he was prepared to let it go. But when he saw its real size, he knew, I need to act. I need to do something about this. Can't have him running around the neighborhood with the kids. So Bodzi, a U.S. Army veteran, said this, and I'm quoting, I'm removing it because he's probably hungry. The only thing that came to my mind was to protect the kids and other children in the neighborhood outside. His heroic exploits were filmed and posted to Twitter, and like I said, it's been viewed by six million people and more. When the video footage of him begins, uh, he has a dark-colored trash receptacle tipped over on its side, lit up, mouth open, and he pushed it toward the gator. He said, let me know when he uh, gets his head inside. Now, I don't know about you, but it didn't look like to me that he was getting much help at all for any of this, kind of on his own. I didn't hear anybody yell, okay, now. In fact, it looked like he was getting away when the lid came down, but he implored the onlookers who were filming to try to help him at least tell him what's going on. And so once the gator was close enough, at least he thought from his vantage point, he swings the lid over and he strikes the gator on his head, which apparently caused the gator to run inside the trash can. And then he violently thrashes around. Did you notice how he was struggling to get that trash can back up on its wheels by himself? And there was lots of people there. You know, If you're filming and somebody needs help, put the phone down and go help him, right? Nobody helped him. And so he's, he's a brave guy. He stayed in there. So the gator's violently thrashing around. And on the onlookers are hooping and hollering, but not helping, I guess. And uh, they're having joyful disbelief. When this was uh, at the end, uh, Eugene said this. I used the front like a hippo's mouth. I saw that he was timid and that he was backing down, so I knew that I had the advantage. Afterward, Bodzi released the gator into a nearby waterway. He said, and I quote, I feel like I was doing, don't miss this, I feel like I was doing what I was supposed to do. Now today we're not going to talk about alligators or crocodiles or anything like that anymore. I want to talk to you about being fearless for Jesus Christ. And we live in days that are fast approaching upon us and are upon us where we're going to have to show courage for our faith in Christ. Fear is something that can paralyze one's forward movement in any situation, not just a, a spiritual situation. 
Fear is the enemy of faith. In fact, fear kills faith. But fear can literally paralyze a person if it overtakes them uh, a lot of times when they don't realize there's a threat that's even coming. Without faith, we cannot accomplish anything for the Lord Jesus. Without faith, it is impossible, the Bible says in Hebrews, to please God. Faith is able to do the hard things. Faith is what believers used in the past and today to be able to stand firm on God's word, even if they're under fire. And that's what's happening today. Christians are becoming uh, those who are under fire. The circumstance is not really important, however. Uh, it is what we believe about the circumstance that is critical. If I believe that God will take care of me when I am doing his will, and that's the whole point of what we're talking about here today, then I will be able to move forward in doing his will, no matter what it costs, no matter what's in front of me. If I believe I'm on my own, and I'm unsupported, then it's going to be nearly impossible for me to go forward in tough situations. We have to always have in mind that Jesus Christ never leaves us or forsakes us. He's always right with us, no matter what's going on in our life, and he does care. All we have to do is look and see uh, that he is there. And what keeps us from looking and seeing that he's there is something we'll talk about in just a little bit. And by the way, it is only faith in Jesus and his power, that is the kind of faith that we must have for everything in life, not just for spiritual things. Well, if you have your Bible and you're open, oh, I've opened it this morning, we're in uh, Matthew chapter 10, as we're preaching through the book verse by verse, and we're in verse 26. I just want to go down to verse 31. Remember, Jesus Christ is prepping his men to go out on a mission for him, and they'll do that more than once in the text of the New Testament. But Jesus says this, all right? Uh, I should just mention uh, what happened last time, and that is Jesus said in verses 24 and 25 that a disciple is not above his teacher. And he basically made them understand they are calling me out there the devil, the Elzebul. They're calling me Satan right now. And if you think for one minute that they're only going to attack me and not you for following me, you're wrong. And he said if they hated me, they will hate you. So that's where we understand in verse 26, he begins with the word therefore. Therefore is telling us, here's the conclusion to what I just said. So Jesus tells the disciples, therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So when you're out in the world and you're spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and people are attacking you, what you need to remember is that they will say nothing or think nothing that God will not one day bring to judgment. So that's a verse about the judgment of the people that attack the children of God. Don't be afraid of them because God in the end is going to reconcile all this together. And that's the point. Uh, there's uh, not going to be anything they can hide that God doesn't know. So moving on in verse 27, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear. That's the second time we've heard this in three verses. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The Greek text says Gehenna. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? Okay, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. Uh, two sparrows are sold for a cent. So everybody knows that. He says uh, if, since that's true, and yet not one of them, will fall to the ground apart from your father. In other words, God knows even when a sparrow 
dies somewhere. Or there's some kid shoots it with a BB gun or runs into a window like we have, we have birds committing suicide out front here all the time. They try to fly into those bushes and land in them and lo and behold, somebody put a piece of glass there. Uh, but anyway, I give them a proper burial. God cares about that. He knows about that. But listen to this. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear. All right, that's the third time. You are more valuable than many sparrows. The trouble is, some of you don't believe you're more valuable even than a sparrow. But the Bible says you are to God, and God cares. If you have your bulletin and you're following along uh, in the outline, <clears throat> I have a mistake in the first outline point, so I thought I'd point that out right away. In verses 26 to 28, what we're going to learn is this. We fear God more than we fear men, so we can preach the gospel even in the face of severe opposition. So the disciples are getting ready to go out into the cities of Israel and preach the gospel, and God wants them to know through Jesus Christ, don't be afraid, your father cares about you. He knows what's going on. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're saying. And there will be a day of judgment for that, but don't fear them. The worst they can do to you is kill your physical body. But you need to remember, they cannot touch your soul. They cannot do anything to your soul. And it's the soul that really, in the end, is going to matter. So uh, it was impressed on me, uh, the issue of boldness in the presence of danger. That's why I showed you what Eugene did this morning. It's, the, it's this whole idea of boldness in the presence of danger. That we have people, we have people doing this is true for Christ around the world. One of the most recent ones that I remember the most was uh, Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham, and Samaritan's Purse. And they were attacked for taking a stand morally on the ills and the evils of homosexuality, according to what the Bible says. And they were attacked by that. And all they were there doing was caring about people who were dying of COVID. And they're offering their services for free. And all the world wanted to do was attack them because in their belief of the Bible, <clears throat> they would say homosexuality is wrong. And they were going to crucify them for that. Franklin Graham stood his ground, and I thank God for him. I'd say he's one of those men that has that kind of boldness that God is talking about. While they are trying to offer care to people, and it doesn't matter uh, what, what their uh, sexual attraction is, they're still caring for everybody. It's just that they think it's wrong, and he stood up for that. In verse 26a, therefore, that refers to Jesus' teaching that our association with him will be the cause for people to persecute us. What the world needs to be able to persecute you is just to know you believe in Jesus, just to know that you love Jesus, just to know that you follow Jesus, and you take his word for what it says, and you believe it. That's all they need. Uh, you tell them you love Jesus. If they know who the biblical Jesus is, they're not going to like you. If they've done what most people do and just make up their own Jesus, and, you know, God is just love, and there's no hell, and there's nothing like that, even though Jesus mentions hell uh, many times in the Bible, not as much as he talks about our relationship with money, but he does mention hell, even right here. It's real, and he doesn't want people to go there, and neither do we. But you mention that you believe in that, and they'll persecute you for that as well. We are not privileged, however, to think that we're above our master. We're not privileged in those last two verses before this text to think that we're better than Jesus. And because uh, we are above our master, they're not going to mess with us. They're not going to persecute us. Uh, even if we think we're just below our master and he's going to take all the heat, 
we're still going to take the heat. And if they persecuted him, Jesus said, how much more will they bring tribulation on us? And the answer to that rhetorical question is a lot more, infinitely more. In verse 26b, Jesus says, do not fear them. It really does not matter who we fear uh, the most if it's God. If we fear men more than God, it does matter. That's a problem. Now, my favorite prophet in the Old Testament, if you want to turn back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, they tried to kill Jeremiah for proclaiming the word of God many times. In fact, Jeremiah grew up in a small town in Israel called Anathoth. And even the men, uh, hometown guys in Anathoth tried to kill him. And people were always trying to kill him. And so he has this message that if you don't repent of your sins, God is going to come and he's going to come to Babylon and he's going to carry you away in exile. And in that exile, you're going to live in Babylon. Well, they hated Babylon. They couldn't believe God would let that to happen. One of the people said, well, what are you talking about, Jeremiah? We have the temple of God like it's a rubber, uh, not a rubber, but a lucky rabbit's foot. And that we have that, nobody's going to touch us. God wouldn't let anything happen to his temple. And Jeremiah says, you're wrong. It's your hearts that are wrong. And God wants you to repent. And they didn't like his message, so they tried to kill him. How dare you say something negative against God's people, they said. And so Jeremiah started to feel this personally. So in, in his book, chapter 20, verse 7, look at what he says. And we'll use, we'll use God's Hebrew name. Oh, Yahweh, you have deceived me. In other words, you have enticed or persuaded me, and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, they cry out loud. I proclaim violence and destruction. So that's their view of his message. Because for me, the word of Yahweh has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say, so Jeremiah is complaining to God, Everybody's beating up on me. Everybody's saying nasty things to me. There's people trying to kill me. And uh, it's kind of like, God, you, you tricked me into being a disciple of yours and an apostle uh, in the Old Testament and, and a prophet. And they're, they're, they're eating me up. They're chewing me up. And then Jeremiah reflects inside and says, but if I say, I will not remember him, meaning God, Yahweh, or speak anymore in his name. See, when you get attacked for Jesus Christ, you start to wonder, Maybe I shouldn't be uh, talking about him and life would go easier. People say that today. If I open my mouth at church and I start talking, or I'm sorry, in the society, and I start talking about church things or God, they're going to attack me. So just keep my mouth shut. He says, if I say that inside, that I'm not going to remember you anymore, Lord, Yahweh, or I'm not going to speak anymore in your name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire. What does? The message of God. And I feel like it's shut up in my bo- by bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. So what he's saying is that I'm a prophet of God. God gave me his word. And if I say I'm not going to speak his word, then the fire of God's word begins to burn within me until I just can't stand it anymore. I can't endure it. And that's the issue for us. I'll talk about that in a minute. For I have heard the whisperings of many, terror on every side. Denounce him, talking about Jeremiah. Yes, let's denounce Jeremiah. All my trusted friends have turned against me. Watch for my fall. They watch for my fall and they say perhaps he will be deceived so that we can prevail against him and take our revenge on him for giving the message God gave him. But the Lord is with me like a dread champion. I like that. The world can be against you. 
but the Lord is with you like a dread champion. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be utterly ashamed because they have failed with an everlasting disgrace that will not be forgotten. He's talking about eternal judgment. Yet, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous to see their mind and their heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have set forth my cause. Sing to Yahweh, praise Yahweh, for he has delivered my soul, uh, the soul of a needy one, from the hand of the evildoers. Let me just break that down for just a second. What's he saying? He is saying the world has turned up the heat against Christianity and anybody who believes in Jesus. Anybody that doesn't accept what they say is acceptable, which Jesus said is not acceptable, and they're going to turn up the heat. And what Jeremiah said was, when I think I'm not going to say anything, when I think I'm going to keep my mouth shut, God's word burns within me so hot that I cannot endure it. And so what we're saying here is that the fire of people to keep your mouth shut is not as great as the fire of God to open your mouth and say something. And Jeremiah experienced that. And we can experience God's help in the same way. Let's put it another way. Whose fire burns hotter in you? Whose fire burns hotter in you? Whom do you speak for, society or for God? One of the major comforts for us is that God will reveal every motive, every secret thought of us and our enemies. Yes, but here it's about the enemies who persecute us. God will take care of that. That's not your business. They will not get away with anything, even though it hurts right now. And the Bible says that Christians will someday not only judge demonic spirits, but Christians will judge the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul says, or do you not know that the saints, in other words, those who've trusted Christ as their personal Savior, will judge the world? And uh, the answer to that is, well, if I didn't, I do know now. Saints will judge the world. They'll judge demonic spirits. Someday uh, you'll be on the right side of God, and he'll take care of it, and he'll take care of you. In verse 27, Jesus teaches the disciples in private, and there are things that they know in private now, uh, like in Matthew 10, I'm sorry, 13, 10 and following, that they're going to have to preach later. Jesus is withdrawing from the crowds because they've rejected him. He's starting to teach his disciples in private. He said, what you're hearing here, you proclaim on the rooftops. Now, in Israel, all the rooftops are flat, so that's not a, that's not a bad place to be. And it's also elevated so people can hear you. So I'm sure they also uh, took that literally. Is also figuratively that wherever we're at, we need to proclaim the word of God. What is, what is gently and privately taught to them is not to remain private, but rather is to be heralded from the rooftops. And what we learn here together in our church is not our secret. We don't learn about the secrets of God and keep it to ourselves. Um, it is what we are to witness to the world once we know. And what was whispered to us in the sanctuary is to be boldly and loudly proclaimed to those who don't believe in Christ, who haven't trusted Christ, we call those unbelievers, and I want you to notice that I said it needs to be done loudly and boldly. I did not say it should be done angrily. <laughs> we, don't, we don't teach the word of God in anger because that abuses people. If people hear anger, and, and, or let me put it this way, if they have uh, love without truth, that's bad. If they have truth without love, that's terrible. Uh, you need both because Jesus said speak the truth in love. So uh, we, we don't proclaim the word of God angrily at all. We proclaim the truth in love. In verse 28, 
He says again, do not fear those who ultimately can do serious harm to the body, and then they can do no more. Now, I want to admit, if you're like me, I'm a little scared about the body part because I know how things can hurt. And when you're suffering for Christ, if somebody, you know, threw you in prison or tortured you or something, that's going to hurt. I, I, I don't think I can look forward to that. But I can look forward to the fact that if that happens and when it happens, Jesus will be with me. And he's going he's gonna to carry me through, whatever that is, and you too. And so, yeah, we're a little scared about the body part of that statement. Uh, but we, uh, we really would rather not have that or any, any uh, frightening experiences. But probably uh, we're going to, and those will be painful, and Jesus will be there. The comparison here is between someone who is uh, ending your temporal life and the fact that no one, no one can devastate or harm your eternal life if you know Christ is your Savior. That's great news. Now we see the big difference. This world will not always be our home. This world is not going to be something where we're regenerated in our human bodies and live forever. I don't know about you, but I do not want to do that. Uh, I'm looking forward to a time when I'm dead and gone and I can be with Jesus, uh, especially the older I get and the more fungus my body grows. You don't want to stay here. Yeah. I just thought since it was wrestling season, you'd like the fungus thing. Anyway, fear the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Does Jesus believe there's a hell? Well, yeah, he talked about it. There is one. You don't want to go there. We could say fear the one who is capable of doing the most damage to you for eternity, and that alone is God, if, if your uh, judgment is that you didn't know him. Don't make a choice based on the present reality. Believe in what is coming. What, what do people respect in us as believers in Christ? Um, let me read a little bit about what they don't respect to illustrate that. There's a Christian scholar by the name of Larry Taunton, and he launched a nationwide campaign to interview college students who belong to uh, atheistic campus groups. Not, certain, not necessarily by that name, but they don't believe in God. After receiving a flood of inquiries, Larry and his team heard one consistent theme from these young unbelievers. They often expected but did not find more spiritual depth in their Christian neighbors. That's what they said. I expect more from a Christian neighbor, is what they're saying, but I didn't find more spiritual depth in them. That's a problem. Larry writes, some of these young atheists had gone to church hoping to find answers to tough questions about faith, Others hope to find answers to questions of personal significance, purpose, and ethics. Serious-minded, they often concluded that church services were largely shallow, harmless, and ultimately irrelevant to life. Okay, well, hope you had a good time at church, right? As Ben, an engineering major at the University of Texas, said so bluntly, said, I really started to get bored with church. In contrast, these young atheists expressed their respect for those ministers, not necessarily preachers, but anybody carrying the gospel message, who took the Bible seriously. So he's saying unbelievers who don't believe in a God respect people that if they say they believe in God, really do. And they act like it, and they live like it. He says this, there he writes, without fail, our former church attending students expressed positive feelings for those Christians who unashamedly embraced biblical teaching. Michael, a political science major at Dartmouth, told us this, and I quote, 
I really can't consider a Christian a good uh, a Christian a good moral person if he isn't trying to convert me. And he went on to say Christianity is something that if you really believed it, it would change your life and you would want to change the lives of others. He says, I haven't seen too much of that. Ouch. Mm. Right in the nose. That hurts. What we're saying is that what the poll found that was done years ago by Pew Research, that there is no appreciable difference between the way believers live during the week and unbelievers live. Ouch. That should not be said of us, should it? We are to be living differently, and we can do that only if we obey our Savior and our Master. Fear about what you say is very real today. If you're afraid to speak up for Christ, if you're afraid to stand on what he calls morality and what he calls good, which the world doesn't agree with, it's hard to do. And it is everywhere that they're trying to make us fear, standing up and saying what we believe about what the Bible teaches. When we say the things of God without fear, remember that God is on your side. Remember that you're doing what God wants you to do. How will they know unless someone tells them? How will they hear unless the, there's a person preaching the message and that's, that's you and me? How will they know they can have an eternity with God if they would just, by faith, repent of their sins and say to Jesus, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and today I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, you paid for them all and I want you to come into my life and be my, my savior. And Jesus will do that. And then you're not bound for hell anymore. And they need to hear that message. doesn't matter really whether they think it's a good message or not. It's the truth. It's the truth. Um, I had a cousin when I was little. I think I've mentioned this before. I thought it was good since we're talking about fear. Because my next point in verses 29 to 31, my last point is don't fear. You are valuable to God. He cares about you always. Uh, my cousin Charlie didn't care about my feelings. And I go and stay with my grandpa out on the farm in McDonald, Kansas. And it gets very dark in Kansas when you're the only place around. And we've got one yard light on. It's not that good. And we'd always have to go out at night after dark and shut the pump jack off that was, you know, filling the tank with water. And my older cousin, Charlie, always talked me into going, yeah, I need your help. He didn't need my help. You pull a plug. But anyway, I did what I was told because I was a very compliant child. And I'd go out there with walk this big, long dirt path, maybe from here to the other side of the back of the fellowship hall and without fail he would yell monster he's gonna get you and he'd always be on this side of the tank close to the door he'd take off running of course I couldn't run as fast as him and I remember being outside the door beating on the screen door let me in let me in I'm gonna die and uh, he's just in there laughing now there's a guy that liked to scare me and didn't care Jesus is not to scare you. He wants you to stand up. You might be scared, but he's going to be there with you. So don't fear. Why? Because you're valuable to God. Now, I know there are some who don't believe this because they think when they were little, when they were being emotionally abandoned, maybe by a parent or something, or through a breakup of family or whatever it is, some people think that I cried out to God, maybe even say I cried out to Jesus, and he didn't show up. So they, they just are going to assume he didn't care about me either because I needed his help and he wasn't there. And I know people feel that way. He didn't show up. The truth is that it was our anger and our hurt that kept us 
from being able to see his presence and his love for us. It's never his fault. He was there. He's still there. And for some of us, he's waiting for you to come back and open your eyes and trust him. Well, in verse 29, two sparrows were sold for one-sixteenth of a day's wage back then, a denarius. I looked online, and I couldn't find anyone today, which I found incredible, who sold sparrows. Um, I searched the Internet for some time looking for people who uh, sold sparrows. I can't find one. Apparently, they're more worthless than I thought. But in Jesus' day, they were roasted and served as tidbits, like hors d'oeuvres before a meal. And so they used them for that. And the point is, the real point is, he wants us to understand, Matthew, as he's writing this, what Jesus said is, sparrows aren't really important to anyone. And then he wants God's uh, word to get to our hearts and say, yet incredibly, when one of them falls, how many sparrows are just in Kansas? When one of them falls, Jesus takes note of it. Incredible. And the whole point of that is, how much more are you important to him than a sparrow? Infinitely more. In verse 30, even the hairs of your head are all numbered and known by God. Really? That's what he says. Who in the world cares about that? The answer, God does. It's a good answer. God cares how many hairs on your head. God knows everything about you, and he knows everything about me. You know why? Because you take the time to learn about people that you care about. If you don't care about somebody, you don't want to know anything about them. So how much does God care about you? People who love me know lots of things about me, but they don't know my hair count, which would be a miracle because I can guarantee you it's changing every day. It has to be adjusted. That's how much he cares about me and you. So here is in verse 31 why we choose not to fear. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so... Do not fear. You are more valuable. Camp on that word a minute. Than many multitudes of sparrows. You are amazingly valuable to someone, and that someone is God himself. If you think no one cares about you, you don't know Jesus. Can you trust him? Can you trust him with your life? Can you trust him to pay for your sins on the cross? Just believe that he did that and let him come and live in your life and then serve him? Will you trust him more than you fear things or people like Jeremiah did? I just want you to know as we are going to be coming to a close here pretty quick that God is trustworthy 100%. And you're going to find that uh, people need forgiveness because we all fail in many ways and sometimes we're not trustworthy. We mean to do right, and if you'll forgive us, we'll try harder the next time. But where you want to put 100% of your trust is in God. 
He never fails you. Never. And your friends try not to. <laughs> they might need forgiveness. The only one that needs forgiveness in our relationship with God is us, and he'll do that. I thought, in, uh, by way of application here, at the end of the notes in your bulletin, <clears throat> I want to read Psalm 121. All right? Uh, it's, it's one of the songs that they sang on their way up to worship in Jerusalem. It says this, speaking of the mountain of Jerusalem as a, as a mountain, I will lift up my eyes to the mountain from where shall come my help. My help comes from Yahweh who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is a shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. That's a, that's a figure of speech. It's a merism. He said from the night to the morning to the night and everything in between, God will take care of you. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. I just want you to know God is never, I don't want to get myself into a double negative here, okay? God is never not paying attention to you. You've never done anything that he wasn't paying attention, and you never will. He's there. Secondly, um, I want to read just a short verse here from Romans 8. And verse 18, where it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Something to look forward to. Whatever we suffer in this present world cannot compare to the glory that God is going to reveal in us in paradise. Something to live for. And then finally this. All the sins people think that they have committed with impunity... And I defined impunity for you, which means immunity from punishment. So every sin that people think, and especially the enemies of God, that they've done and nobody did anything about it, uh, will be laid open and bare before God in his judgment. No one is going to get away from, uh, with hurting you that God isn't going to have something to say and do about it. Because you're his child and because he loves you and he gave his life for you. He's there. I hope there's no hurt or anger keeping you from seeing that, and I hope you've made him your Savior so you can have the hope of eternal life. All right, let's bow together and pray and thank the Lord for our time together, shall we? Gracious and holy Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for giving us your word. We want to thank you that you care about us so much. We really have to be honest that the mission that you've sent us on is not easy. There are dangers, and those dangers are encroaching upon the church even more and more each and every day. Help us to be those who recognize your presence, your power, your strength, and that you will be with us through any persecution. And we should open our mouths and tell people the truth about the good news of Jesus Christ and about what he teaches, because that's what you put us here for. And we're looking forward to eternity with you, where there will never be any more pain, any crying, any grief, any death. 
and we look forward to that day. I just want to ask on our behalf that we would be counted faithful in the task you have given us to do. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.